All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're tuned in to Oilers Nation every day with Tyler Uramchuk, live every weekday on the Nation Network YouTube. Sometimes a good team loses to a bad team. Sometimes a bad team finds a way to beat a good team. And sometimes, even though you play pretty good, you just lose to a team that's better than you. Welcome into Oilers Nation every day, as always, live from the Sports Closet Studio. Tyler Uramchuk and Coombsy. That's right. Ready to roll, breaking down the game against New Jersey. We're also going to talk a little trade targets, and uh, we got a lot to get to. New line combinations as well. Some discussion about Evan Bouchard and this damn Oilers blue line. But first, let's get into the game last night with the lead. I don't know if I would describe last night as a full-on back-and-forth affair between the Oilers and the New Jersey Devils, but Edmonton managed to hang around that game a little bit. They got a couple of timely goals as well, but ultimately it wasn't enough. A couple of sloppy mistakes in almost every end of the ice at different points of the game ends up costing the Oilers as they fall 5-2 to the New Jersey Devils. Leon Dreisaitl and Ryan Nugent Hopkins end up getting the goal, and the Devils tie a franchise record for wins in a row. I I don't think the Oilers played terribly, Coombsy. But 
that's a really damn good Devils team, and you need to play really damn good to beat them. That that is simple as that. Yeah, given the way things are going for the Devils right now, like you said, franchise high winning streak is now at 13 games. The New Jersey Devils are at 16 and three on the season. We can make the case it's probably either them or the Bruins, maybe the Vegas Golden Knights for the best team in the NHL through a month and a bit at the quarter mark of the season. And yeah. I mean, what we saw last night from New Jersey was a team that just doesn't really make any mistakes, and the Oilers made a few. And that was ultimately the difference. Like, I think, and we were talking about this in the studio before the game, it didn't feel like the Oilers played that badly. There was energy, especially energy offensively. They were forechecking effectively. They were getting shots, generating chances. But the reality was, defensively, the other way, they just gave up more high-quality chances than the Devils did. The Devils didn't make very many mistakes in their own zone, if any. No, and, and the other thing is... You know, when the Oilers made mistakes, the Devils capitalized on them. You know, there was a rough pinch from Darnell Nurse. One of the goals was a bad line change from Leon Dreisaitl, and the Oilers didn't have enough bodies going back the other way. When the Devils made mistakes, the Oilers didn't capitalize on them. I think about that Zach Hyman chance right in front of the net, and he just doesn't take the extra quarter of a second to look at the net or recognize how much time he has. I think about Ryan McLeod off the turnover, having a great chance, pulls it around the net, wide open cage, Zach Hyman's stick gets in the way. I think of the other look in front of the net. I think it was it was either Fogel or Hyman who pick off a pass down low. They walk in front all the time in the world. You don't score. Okay, well, if you find a way to capitalize on the few mistakes that the Devils make, you actually played good enough to hang around in that hockey game. And that just, that just really wasn't the case. I'm looking at the YouTube chat right now, and you guys are really fired up. So I want to get to a bunch of this. As always, we are streaming live on the Oilers Nation Twitter, Facebook, and on the Nation Network YouTube, where we want to hear your takes on the game last night. And kind of what do you think's going wrong for this Oilers team? Because we are at, or we're almost at, the 20-game mark of the season this has been underwhelming. I think that's a fair way to describe the way this season's gone, Cam. It doesn't look like the team that beat the LA Kings in the first round. And now, to be fair, that wasn't uh, necessarily like a wildly impressive win over the Drew Doughty-less Kings in yeah. seven games. That was a bit of a shaky first-round series for the Oilers. But this team looks nowhere near where they looked last year in the Battle of Alberta against Calgary. And I mean, to be fair, it's a five-game small sample size in that playoff series specifically. But... There was a lot of optimism coming into this season because of how good the Oilers looked to kick off the Jay Woodcroft era. When he took over for Dave Tippett, they were among the best teams in the league in the final two months of the year. And then this year, they just looked like the Dave Tippett Oilers again. They looked nothing like the Jay Woodcroft Oilers that came down the stretch last year. And it's, it's weird because we all just sort of thought, well, they finished the season in a certain way. They're coming back with largely the same team. You know, they're going to lose Duncan Keith in the blue line, Mike Smith and Ned, a couple of key veterans, but it's by and large the same team, same course, same coach. So it's stunning to see just how different they look. It looks like a group of just five players coming on the ice at any given time, just skating around and doing their own thing. Not playing as a unit. I think that's a really fair critique. I'm um, looking at the YouTube chat. I see Zach before the show even started rattled off a bunch of stuff about Bouchard in the blue line. We're, I'm going to table that and get to it a little bit later on in the show today. Rusty, the eternal optimist, is in. He says, all right, people, I may have gone a little nuts last night after the game. I'm on Thanksgiving break here in the U.S., so I have a lot of time. I figured out this. The Oilers have played the second or third hardest schedule to start the season. December onwards, they have the second or third easiest schedule. This will give them time to get on a roll. I think by the start of the new year, the Oilers will be between 47 to 50 points in the standings. That would put us at above a 600 win percentage and put us right in the fight for first in the division. I will always drink this Kool-Aid, and I firmly believe the team will win 14 or 15 of the next 19 games to finish out the calendar year. 
He also adds, hope soup is okay. He broke his nose, but he is okay. He did practice today. This sounds like Jack Campbell is going to be okay for those of you wondering about that. But I, I think the schedule, it's a fair-ish point, but I, I still don't think it fully excuses what we've seen from this team through 19 games. Like, yeah, okay, you look at what they have coming up in December. Minnesota's underwhelming. You get them twice, but they're still a really, really good hockey team. You can't take them lightly. There's no easy nights in the NHL, but in you get Washington, okay, or sorry, Washington, yes, you do get them. Montreal, Arizona on home ice. Those are two you'd look at and go, okay, those should be pretty close to automatic wins. You better be, beat those teams is what I'm kind of getting at here. You get Anaheim, you get Vancouver, you get Seattle, but Seattle's been good this year. I, I, the schedule just never really gets easy in today's NHL. And, and even if you do agree with the fact that, yeah, their schedule is going to get easier down the stretch. They'll play the Arizonas, the Anaheims, the San Jose's a few more times throughout the year. It, is this not a team who is supposed to be a Stanley Cup contender, right? Lots of people are picking this team to win the cup. So it shouldn't matter who's in front of you. You should be better than a 500 hockey team. Yeah, you'd like to see the Oilers. And I mean, I think that's a fair point from Rusty. I think the schedule has been quite hard, specifically in November. I mean, they have two of their most difficult road trips of the season. That first one they already went through, through the South, southeastern USA. It's four playoff teams, I guess three, if you don't count Washington as a playoff team. They're having kind of a rough year. And then this one they're on right now, New Jersey. The Islanders are a meh, maybe playoff team. The Rangers, same thing, a playoff team as well. So yeah, they're going up against a lot of playoff teams, but especially on the road. But the reality is if you're going to be a legitimate contender. You have to beat yep. those other playoff teams. And the NHL, there's so much parity. There's only a few teams this year that are actively tanking, like outside of, you know, there's Arizona, there's the Ducks. Uh, Chicago. Chicago. Like, those are three teams. Columbus are, is murdered yeah. with injuries, so they're probably in that group now, too. Yeah, so there's, like, five, six teams that are really bad, and then a nice clump of, like, ten middling teams, and then a pretty significant group of playoff teams. I mean, at the end of the day, the Oilers... There aren't, like you said, there aren't that many breaks in the schedule at all. Like, you go down the entire thing, there isn't going to be like a stretch where they play seven out of, you know, 10 games against terrible teams. Yeah. It's not really going to happen. So they have to just start winning their head to heads against playoff teams. Otherwise, they're not a real contender. Yep, 100%. Uh, like, I'm looking at January, and January is maybe the month where you could look and go, okay, they play a lot of teams that they should be beating on. It's two home games against Seattle. You're hoping by that point, Seattle's come back down to earth. You're also playing them on home ice. You get Columbus, Vancouver, and Chicago, and San Jose, and Anaheim in that month. So 70 or 12 games, you'll be significant favorites in. But what are the other games that month? The Islanders, looking great. Colorado, eight of their last nine games they've won. LA, looking good. Vegas, looking good. Tampa, they're the freaking Tampa Bay Lightning. So again, if you're looking for a stretch of 10 games where the Oilers play nothing but easy opponents and they can relatively easily rattle off 10 straight wins, it's just not going to happen in today's NHL. And again, to your point, if you want to be a contender, that's not how you can really look at this thing. And, and, and maybe that's what's a little bit frustrating about last night is, again, the Oilers played pretty well, but it still wasn't enough to beat a team like the New Jersey Devils. And that leads me to looking at this team and going, there's something really not right with them. Here's another worrying thing. I'm just looking into the strength of schedule stuff now because Rusty brought it up. And Hockey Reference has a stat called just strength of schedule rating. And the team that – I don't really know what goes into this formula, but I trust Hockey Reference. Um, apparently, the team who's had the most difficult strength of schedule thus far is the Calgary Flames. 
And they're kind of just like the Oilers. They're sputtering a bit, which makes sense because they had like their whole roster turnover last summer, brand new team. So if the Oilers schedule does get easier down the stretch, which I do think it probably will, there's also concern that teams they're competing with are also dealing with the same thing. So right now you have Vegas as the number one team to beat in the Pacific. That seems pretty clear. LA is in the number two spot. Then there's Seattle in the number three. Seattle's obviously going to fall down a little bit. But if the Oilers are completing with the Flames for a playoff spot and the Flames have it easy down the stretch, that's another challenge to overcome. Turning our attention back to the chat, and we're going to talk about the blue line in a second. Reed says, how about trading Barry to Seattle for Larson one for one? Adam Larson signed in Seattle because he wanted to get out of Edmonton because he wanted to turn the page on the death of his dad. If you go out and trade for that guy, I don't, I don't, don't do that. You don't go trade for Adam Larson is the point I'm making here. Larson's probably locked in in Seattle, even if he doesn't have the, the no movement clause and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, Rusty says, here's a question. Do you go after a left shot D or a right shot D? I think on the right side of the blue line, you've kind of made your bed for this season. I don't know if you're trading Tyson Berry during the middle of the year. He seems like a pretty big part of this team's core, especially behind closed doors. He's You always hear he's one of the leaders in the room. I think you're locked in with CeCe Bouchard and Berry on the right side. The easiest thing to do is to go get a left shot D man who can really impact the game in, in your own end. A guy who can break up cycles, can play hard minutes, start in the D zone, kill penalties, all that stuff. I think you need a hard-nosed left-shot D-man on this team unless you're going to make big, big changes. And that would require trading Barry, bringing in a new right shot, also still getting a left shot. Because even if you swap Barry for a guy that defends better, the left side of your blue line is still not good enough. And you need forward help. It just feels like, Coombsy, we're back at the point where we were, again, in those Dave Tippett days where it's like, okay, this team needs three more pieces if they want to be contenders. And that shouldn't be the point we're at right now. No, they've pretty much been looking for the same thing forever. It's been yeah. the thing since the beginning of time. They need a veteran D-man on the second pairing they need a third line center i think ryan mcleod's been solid in the role but you can also you know see him contributing to the team in other aspects his speed's phenomenal he could be a really effective winger in the top six yeah. maybe you'd like to have more of a veteran 3c who can take draws in the team i didn't think this was going to be an issue at the beginning of the year but obviously nobody foresaw evander kane missing a significant amount of time there isn't a very there isn't a significant amount of toughness or jam on this team i don't know if if it's necessarily like the game-changing thing the Oilers really need. But in the past few games since Kane got hurt, it has been fairly noticeable. Yeah, and I also think that's hurt the depth scoring side of things as well. Obviously not having Evander Kane. Who knows when Kyler Yamamoto is going to be back? Dylan Holloway is not the answer we thought he was going to be in the preseason. Like certain things haven't broken their way. And if, you know, Kane's healthy, Yamamoto's healthy, and Dylan Holloway is playing meaningful top nine minutes on a regular on a regular basis... Well, then there you go. You're starting. This team is totally different. You've added an entire layer of depth, but that's not there. And every team gets bit by injuries. So your depth gets exposed once you have one or two injuries. And my other fear is you you can't predict when injuries come. You know, if you want to play a dangerous what if game, what's the left side of this blue line look like without Kulak or Nurse? What if one, right? Like knock on wood, but I mean... That, that could be something that really hurts this team, too. They don't have that extra layer of depth that I think a lot of really competitive teams in the NHL do. And that's just something that I think has been exposed in the first 19 games that maybe the orange and blue colored glasses didn't let me see coming into this season. And talk about a team that went to the conference finals last year. That was awesome. 
but let's not kid ourselves. A big part of that run to the conference finals was 97 averaging, what, two points a game? 29 averaging, what, two points a game? Evander Kane averaging a goal per game? Mike Smith as well, fantastic in that in the playoffs. Yeah, like he was... Not, fe- not for the whole playoffs. But yeah, but like he was feast or famine, right? Like the yeah. games he was great, he was great in. And there was maybe one or two games where they won in spite of him, but like the dude, did he not have a shutout in game seven against the LA Kings? And now we're sitting here looking at his replacement, Jack Campbell, who is breaking his nose as the backup. That's the way shit's going right now for him. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, the problem is, is that we expected so many things to go right. Yep. You expect, um, and I think a lot of this comes down to the rookies and the sophomores specifically. Uh, we expected Philip Broberg was just going to, yep. if not right off the hop, maybe a month into the season, at least by now would be contributing on the blue line. That hasn't happened partially because of injuries. Uh, we expected Dylan Holloway to step in. He's only have like half a professional season under his belt because he was injured last year after having wrist surgery. And then, you know, Evan Bouchard, he had a breakout season last year. We all just assume, okay, he was that good last year. He's automatically going to be at least that good next year, if not better. And then same thing, Ryan McLeod too. It was, you know, he had a breakout season last year and it's just, they have to take another step forward, but it just hasn't happened. Playing in the NHL is a lot more difficult than I think we tend to realize sometimes. And progression isn't always linear. Guys have an up year and then a down year and then an up year and then improve in certain aspects of their game and then maybe regress in other aspects of their game. And that's just the challenge. But I don't know if I necessarily agree that Edmonton's depth is weak. I think the 2022-23 Oilers have better depth than we've seen in the past. At least now they can dip into their minor league team and call up some combination of a quality NHL veteran like a like a Matthias Janmark, like a That's player fair. with some upside, like a Klim Cost and a Marcus Nima line. And you have other names down there that are at least, you're like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd be fine watching this guy suit up at the NHL level. It's not like the Ty Ratty, Kevin Gravel days where it was like, geez, are we really suiting up with this guy right now? That's not really ideal. So, but the thing is, is the season does take time. We're only one quarter of the way through. I mean, we all thought that Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson, that coaching staff, were going to be really good at developing players. So maybe it's just going to take time. And I think so. Like, I, I'm not ready to hit a panic button or anything like that. I, I do kind of agree with Rusty that there were, this team is good enough. Granted, even if it comes on the back of another crazy heater from McDavid and Drysdale, they're good enough to win eight to ten games at any point in this season. We're talking about strength of schedule. I mean, they they can beat anyone on any given night. We've seen that against Tampa. We've seen that against Florida. They can rattle off eight to ten, and this show's going to have a totally different vibe than the one today. <laughs> I mean, if they would have won last night, tonight would have had a totally different vibe. We would have been so happy. Um, I see Alex is putting the panic button. Uh, (laughs) Alex, I'm not hitting it. I'm not touching it. Yeah, we're not hitting it just yet. 20 more games. Let's let's wait till 40 to either panic or not. If it's 40 and they're not in a playoff spot, I'm ready to have that conversation, but not quite. Um, Something I wanted to bring up in the chat. Someone asked... uh, is Darnell, what's the save percentage from last year's goalie pairs to this year? So last season at this point, on November 22nd of 2021, the Oilers actually had a pretty good save percentage. They were 11th in the NHL with a 914 save percentage in their first 17 games of the year. This season, they're 24th in the NHL with an 894. This is all strengths as well, not just 5 on 5, not just PK or whatever. Um, so they're not getting as good of goaltending as they were last year, even though it was... Miko Koskinen mainly being the starter at this point last year. Um, and, and part of that is Campbell. And again, he'll turn it around. They got, I would imagine he's getting the start against the Islanders tomorrow as well. Um, but I want to circle back to a point you made with 
kind of the, the, the sophomores not taking the step forward that we expected. And Bouchard specifically has, has gotten a lot of flack recently. And there are some people who look at his shot metrics and, and I'm someone who pays a lot of attention to that stuff. And I pull up the game log yesterday from Natural Statric and I look and go, Bouchard played 12 and a half minutes at five on five. When he was on the ice, the Oilers outshot the Devils nine to three. And it's like, that's really good. That's top pairing D-man kind of stuff. But then you watch the game. He gets beat wide seemingly every second or third shift. He makes a boneheaded play seemingly every period with the puck on his stick. And then, yeah, he'll make the one great pass across two lines and you go, he's the only one on this blue line that's capable of making a, a, an elite breakout pass. They have guys who are serviceable. Barry's more than serviceable making breakout passes. Darnell Nurse, when he gets in motion, is good. But Bouchard's the only one who can make like that elite, elite, change the tempo of an entire shift breakout pass. But through 19 games this year, he doesn't have a goal. He's got the six assists. He's dash nine. I know plus minus is a generally flawed stat. Take all the numbers, throw them in the garbage. Just watching Evan Bouchard, he does not look like nearly the player we saw in the playoffs last season. No, he doesn't. Like I said, he was he was one of the biggest positive breakout step forwards that the Oilers had last year. He was... In 2021-22, basically the D-man that everyone hoped he would be when he was selected in the top 10 of the draft. And it looked like, hey, the Oilers have found this guy. He's, yeah. he's, a, he's establishing himself quickly as a top four, if not a top pairing defender. And there was a whole bunch of talk. Hey, his entry-level contract's coming to an end after 2022-23. Let's lock this guy up forever like they did with Oscar Kleffbaum. And, I mean, now you're watching it. And I, I, I can't think of an example of a D-man having a, a a bigger, wider gap between what you see with the eye test and what you see with the numbers. Like, I'm looking right now at natural stat trick, and Bouchard is the second best player on the Oilers per 60 minutes at limiting high-danger scoring chances against, and I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. Because I would have thought yeah. if there was one thing about Bouchard, no matter how much you like his passing, his shot from the point, whatever, there's a lot of things he does well. If there was one thing we could all agree on is that he gets beaten wide and he allows high danger chances because he's not that good in front of the net and stuff like that. But this says completely different. And I honestly, I can't wrap my head around it. It's, it's really, really puzzling. Um, yeah, and, and even the shots. Like, I know he's become shin pad assassin 2.0 and all of that. Um, but, like, he still gets pucks through at an elite rate. Like, he loves shooting the puck, and that's a skill. I He's in a bit of a lull right now because against L.A. and against Jersey, he just he hit the shin pads more often than he got it through, and he didn't have a single shot on net against Vegas. But on the season as a whole, he's been great at getting pucks on net. This blue line needs that. I think that is something that works really well with this team. But whatever it is, he, he lost a step from last season. Um, it, I just, yeah. It could be the partner, too. I mean... Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know if we gave Duncan Keith enough credit last year. I think we were all kind of, and I mean, I was like this too. I was really critical of the trade when it happened. I thought you were acquiring the 40-year-old Duncan Keith with this cap hit. What are you doing? And I kind of allowed that, I think, to cloud my vision for a lot of the season and not really realize just how helpful it could be for Bouchard to not only be on the ice with that guy, but sitting next to him on the bench, having him tell him, hey, you should be in this spot. Hey, you should be doing things like that. Like, I think Brett Kulak's a really good third-pairing D-man, but I don't think he provides that for Bouchard when they're playing together. Yeah, but we should also remember, and there's a comment here. Um, Rusty says he's only 22 years old. He's so young, but turned 23 last month. Yeah, he's he's still so young. I mean, we have to temper our expectations for how good a 22, 23 year old D man can be in the league. And also, we're not even at the 20 game mark. No, remember last year by the end of the season, Ryan McLeod, who I also want to talk about, but Ryan McLeod by the end of the year was looking like an established third line center who can drive offense mm -hmm. and fly through the neutral zone. 
He didn't make the team at a camp last year. Ryan McLeod didn't play his first game with the Edmonton Oilers. I'm double checking this to make sure I get the date right on it. Um, but last season, he was sent down out of the gates and did not play his first game with the Oilers until I guess they called him back up relatively quickly. But he was in and out of the lineup, played twice, then was down for a month and came back in the middle of November. Yeah, because he was not in that 3C role this time last year. No. Not at all. And then from that point forward, he, he started to slowly build up momentum. And it wasn't until December when he started to look really impactful. But even him, like, I know he almost scored last night. But he makes some decisions out there that I'm just like, what in the world? And he didn't make those decisions last spring. It's, it's puzzling to see. And again, development never is. It's not linear. We know that. But it's still wild in the moment to watch these plays and just be like, are you lacking confidence? Like, are you struggling to adjust to the day-to-day grind? I, I just, I don't get it. Playing time, higher expectations. I yeah. mean, again, like we just expected Brian McLeod was a 3C last year in the playoffs. He's going to start this year as a 3C and maybe become a 2C. The expectations yeah. are just, it's, we just got to give them more time, I think. 100%. Uh, let's bring in Liam. We haven't, <laughs> I've, been so, I've been so wrapped up in like the eight rants that I wanted to get off on the show. What'd you make of the game last night, man? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, yeah, I guess to go back to the top of the show, I thought they were fine. But at no point was I ever like, Oilers are going to win this game. It was just very, I don't even know the best way to describe it. It's just a mediocre hockey game. There was back-breaking moments which killed the Oilers. Stuart yep. Skinner literally passing the puck to that guy gave me Mike Smith flashbacks or even Markstrom in the playoffs. Like it was a horrible thing to see. And I'm not going to criticize Skinner too much. He's been probably the best player outside of Drysdale and McDavid on this team, to be honest, for most mm-hmm. of the season. But Oilers got to find a way to play well against these really good teams consistently. So it's great that you beat Vegas the other night, but how are you going to follow that up? And that's how you do it. Like 
I, I throughout this kind of inconsistent run of win losses, win losses, I just keep thinking to myself, it's like, what would have happened if the Oilers would have beat New Jersey that night in Edmonton? Yep. What would this team be right now if they had won six in a row? If that seven seconds didn't happen, yeah, that seven seconds didn't happen. Or you go to overtime, you get you get a point or something like it's just it's obviously a big what if, but it just feels like such a massive turning point in this season was that moment, and. Now here we are with however many games ago that was and just looking at this team like what is going on and you guys kind of spoke about it a lot then but it just feels like we're relying we coming into the season we relied too heavily on the young guys to take massive steps instead of almost sheltering them a little bit more like Ryan McLeod for example I had a really good start to the season and now he's doing things like you said that aren't too great out of character out of character that's a good way to put it and it's like now he's our third line center, which is a big role, especially behind McDavid and Drysaddle. I almost feel like there should have been a backup plan if that didn't work, and it's not there. Mm-hmm. I guess Nuge would have probably been that, but also but, how are you supposed to move him now? But he's top six. Well, he's shooting the lights out as yeah. a left winger, so yeah. he's a, Nuge is a left winger. He might score forty goals this year, damn it, if he keeps <laughs> this up. Like he's a left winger. You can't put him back at center either. No, so I don't know. There's just there's a lot of holes in his team right now. I think they're better than what they're showing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like the the schedule thing is very interesting. The difficulty of it, but like you said again, like it doesn't get easier. But also, we haven't played San Jose, Anaheim, Arizona, any of those bad teams yet. Maybe they just okay. need a bit of a two or three game stretch here just to get the ball rolling. A big win tomorrow, I yep. think, could. So I'd say it could go a long way because we've had like three big wins in the last week and we've lost That's the next day. The Tampa and Florida both. Tampa, felt Florida, like Vegas. Vegas yep. They never follow up these big wins yep. against good teams with another good game. That's what's frustrating. Yeah. The Tampa win. I thought Jack Campbell played phenomenal that game. And then they come out the next game and just get pumped by Carolina. The Florida game, you come back and it's just kind of a sleeper against the Kings. Then Vegas, it's I think we all agree the effort against New Jersey was fine. It was solid, but it wasn't it was far from a good game. Couple yeah. of couple of bad little details, things, a yeah. couple of bad decisions, bad breaks, and boom, you don't win a hockey game. A couple of big saves too from uh Vanacek's that goalie, right? Yeah, Vanacek was really good yeah, last night. Fantastic. Like the wraparound of McDavid that he stopped was good. Two one timers on dry side. Dry side of one timers, like one of those go in, it's a different game. And then, yeah, back down the other end of the ice, back breaking moments. I truly couldn't believe the Evan Bouchard stats you just read off. That's, I, 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 well, around it. I don't get it. That's why you got to watch the games because you just look at the yeah. numbers, it's a completely different. Story. If you look at the numbers, you'd be like, this is a 23 year old D man experiencing an elite breakout. And the Oilers should pay him eight million dollars a year, but you watch the games and you go, you bridge him. He's barely staying in the lineup, and it's it's stunning to see it. But again, you need to have patience with these guys like McLeod and Bouchard. And I think for the most part, that's where having a coach like Woodcroft is good. Like Tippett, Bouchard might be getting healthy scratched in a Dave Tippett system. Well, he went a whole seat that uh, yeah, he COVID didn't play for like half a year. Yeah, this, and I do uh, think Woodcroft is more patient. Like I mean, yeah. we're seeing Pugliarvi today back up in the top six. Seeing Holloway play. And Holloway played again. <laughs> like, it's probably a good thing at the end of the day. I think it's yep. better to lose these games in November and be angry right now. And every every mistake that a Bouchard or a McLeod or a Holloway makes today, I think, is is a good game from them in March or April. I think you have to go I through like these months mindset. now. Yeah. You have you just have to get them out of the way. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good positive way way to look at it as well. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, I thought, had a good quote today uh, chatting after Oilers practice saying, we want to be a team that wins three or four in a row. We're just trying to find our identity. And I think what we saw last season was almost the same thing. It took a coaching change. and People always forget, man. That coaching change came in mid-February. In mid-February. And this team turned it around. Mid-February. We are mid-November. <laughs> 
damn it's, it's, it's it's always it's always the end of the season here no matter how early or how late it is we're always yeah. talking like we're five games out from the playoffs that's just how we are yeah. uh darnell says would you consider moving ryan nugent hopkins for a defenseman get his oh. value up for the deadline he, he's the first player yeah. to ever commit to this team for basically his whole career signing that eight-year deal he might score 30 plus he, he will in all likelihood score 30 plus goals this season no you don't trade ryan nugent hopkins that would be dumb who would you move right now on this team like if you were given an option to go and get a defenseman i feel like the answer is pretty fairly obvious but who would you move right now to bring in a defenseman to help this team or somewhere to fill this to help this team well it, it's picks right now and oh, then really? to make the money work, it's Fogel, Pugliarvi, or Yamamoto. So out of those three, who would you move? Because Yamamoto's hurt, so you can't probably move him right now. Pugliarvi's been inconsistent, played fairly well last night, used his size on that first mm -hmm. goal to help them. And Fogel's probably been the best depth forward you've yeah. had in the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. He's been the most productive of the three. I mean, and he's, yeah. Yeah. Now he's in the top six. He's getting a look with Connor McDavid, actually. It's McDavid, Heim McDavid, Fogel, Hyman, Drysaddle, Nuge, Pugliarvi, McLeod, Yanmark, Costin. Don't hate it. Malone, Holloway, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even know what where you subtract from that roster to make a trade because you have to have salary cap going out the other way. Yep. There's so many obstacles, and that's why, honestly, just as much as we want to talk about trades right now, it's just so obviously not going to happen. Well, let, let's have the conversation, though. That wasn't, because, that wasn't a very good... <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a great segue into our next segment. But we're going to do it anyways. these things. Uh, if you're watching on the YouTube chat, do me a solid right now and hammer that like button as well. Let's see if we can get it up to 20 again today. Uh, Frank Saravalli, who's going to join the show tomorrow, by the way, on uh, on Wednesday for... We haven't named it yet. We'll let someone else name the, name the frag segment this week. But he dropped his uh, first edition of Trade Targets for this season. You can read the whole list of 20 names up at dailyfaceoff.com. And then once you're done that, you can go read Coombsy's breakdown on Oilers Nation as well. But here's your top five. Bo Horvat, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Jacob Chikrin, and John Klingberg. What do we think the Oilers need? Probably a bottom six centerman or a damn good third line center who's good in his own end. And then a defenseman. Okay, well, I see two centermen and I see two defensemen here, Coombsy. Any of these four, any of those four look like good fits to you? Yeah, we've talked about the Chicago Blackhawks guys as the interesting fits because, you know, they've been there and they've done that. And we saw the impact that Duncan Keith had, three-time Stanley Cup winner joining the Oilers last year. And you kind of think, okay, if they go ahead and acquire one of Taves or Kane, I do think right now the bigger need might be Taves. I think they need that defensive center who can shut down a top line in the playoffs who can be i don't know if you're necessarily getting them to be a 3c i think honestly if you go and get a taves or a Bo horvat then they're going to be your 2c and that opens leon dryside up to play with Connor mcdavid um i think jay, jay woodcroft wants to be doing that more and is kind of just nervous to do it but it does seem like he wants to be doing it uh jacob chitron i've said this before in the past i don't know if he's the answer like we already just got through talking about evan bouchard he's young he makes mistakes chitron's only two years older two or three years older and i mean he's never really played for a competitive team and he's got all these injury risks obviously a wildly skilled player on a very good contract but there's some worry there I think the Klingberg one makes a bit more sense. I've seen some comments that he's a bit too similar to Barry and Bouchard and that he's not like, you know, a rugged physical defender, but he can munch a ton of minutes and he passes really well. And one of the weaknesses on the Oilers right now is their breakout passes are just not good. So the transition game is just 
not where you want it to be. So, I mean, I think I think Klingberg makes a lot of sense for the blue line. Horvat's a tough one because could you imagine the Vancouver Canucks trading their captain within the division, even if it was a rental? Like that's a that's a big ask for the Canucks to pull yeah. out. Uh, my boy Brad Bay says Chikrin can't stay healthy makes me worried about trading the farm for him and I think I agree with that I don't know if it is the perfect move for this team Bo Horvat I don't he's going to cost you so much especially with the division thing like the Canucks are going to demand so much so much and I think Taves will cost you less even factoring in working a third team into this thing I'm actually not sure how high Taves is trade I don't think it's Giroux like you know Giroux ended up going for a first tippet and another piece I don't think that's Taves. I think it's maybe a second, a decent prospect, and maybe like a third or a fourth rounder to get another team to eat some salary. Um, but I, I think Taves is the ideal target for this forward group. He's having a great year, a resurgent year, looking like the Taves we saw before the pandemic. Chikrin and Klingberg going to cost a lot. Talked about Chikrin health concerns. Klingberg, he's a right shot though, right? Can he play the left side? I, I don't know. I don't have enough info on that um, to like give a good take on it but i know he's he's usually a right shot d-man so i'm not sure if that's even a perfect fit uh the next five names on frank's list and again we're gonna get some insight from the insider himself um but he's got timo meyer anthony duclair who i'll circle back to vladislav gavrikov at number eight 27 years old pending ufa so he's a very young rental about as young of a rental as you'll find that name is intriguing because he plays really well in his own end And he's handled some tough minutes in Columbus. He probably won't cost you a first-round pick, but it's probably a second-round pick and a prospect to get this guy because I do think his stock is high around the league. But he's more in that range. Instead of the Chikrins and Klingbergs, I think Ken Holland's going to be shopping for the Gavrikovs and the Susies. That's what I mentioned in my article today at Owen. I thought... Klingberg would be a nice addition because he's, you know, he was a key part of that Dallas, Dallas Stars random run to the Stanley Cup final in the COVID year. He can, you know, he can log a ton of minutes. I thought that'd be nice, a veteran for the Oilers to have among these defenders. But Gavrikov was the name that made a bunch of sense because he doesn't have a big cap at a 2.8 mil. He's not a huge name. The Blue Jackets are obviously going to be selling. They're not in the division. They're a random team. They're not going to be like Vancouver making the Oilers pay up the nose to you know, trade for Bo Horvat. And the the thing with Gavrikov is it kind of reminds me of last year when they acquired Brett Kulak. It was like, he's a UFA, but he's the kind of player they would actually have the cash to keep around on a multiple year deal. And Gavrikov is honestly kind of just like a better version of what they have in Marcus Niemelainen, someone who's really good in their own end, someone who's hard to play against right in front of the net, someone who's not afraid to throw a big cross check to a forward behind the net and make their life a little difficult. That's one element. I think, for me, I think the biggest element the Oilers miss on their blue line is that really good breakout pass, but they do definitely need a good shutdown guy. I think he would look really nice next to Evan Bouchard. I agree. Uh, Anthony Duclair's on that list with a little asterisk next to his name. The reasoning here from Frank is the Florida Panthers literally cannot activate him from IR without making a trade. And if he's healthy, you need to activate him. So Florida's hands are tied. And Anthony Duclair is a guy who scored 30 goals last season. And Frank added, it may not be Duclair who ends up moving, although it could be one of those situations where like they just have to give him away because no one's willing to help them out. But he also mentioned Sam Bennett and Sam Reinhart as potential trade options. Sam Bennett, 26 years old, 4.4 million, plays a rugged style, can play center, can play the wing. I I would be calling about Duclair because I think adding a 30-goal left winger to this lineup would be nice. You'd have to offload Warren Fogle or keep... uh, You'd have to offload Warren Fogle or keep Evander Kane 
um, on LTIR for the rest of the regular season in any scenario here. But Sam Bennett or Anthony Duclair, I think either one would look good in this forward group. Seeing Sam Bennett on the other side of the Battle of Alberta would be very interesting. There's uh, people around the Flames have talked about him being kind of a low, under-the-radar game-changer on that team. Even when he wasn't producing, he plays with a lot of energy. I mean, mm-hmm. he always could use that. Can they do a chin-up yet? Probably. <laughs> have you seen that beard? I don't think you can grow a beard like that unless you can do a chin-up. Oh, I forgot about that. That's that was fair, that's fair. Who was it that tweeted? It was... Um, yeah, I know exactly. You what know what I'm talking about, right? The one the where team. it was like Connor McHugh. Flames will take. Was that spec? Yeah, I can't remember. It was. There was another really funny one. It was McDavid, Eichel, or Lawson Krause. <laughs> I think that was, I can't remember who that was. Just funny prospect tweets from the past, but. That's always good to dig those ones up. Yeah. Uh, Brad says Shane Gostaspare would be nice to pick up if we were making a deal with Arizona. He's a puck mover, but he does a lot of his damage on the power play. And again, at the cap hit there, I, I think I'd probably stay away from, from Ghost Despair, but he is a left shot and he passes the puck well, so he would fit your description to an extent. Um, we're going to keep working through a couple more f- names quickly here on Frank's list. And again, we'll get more in depth on this on tomorrow's show. Our boy Andreas Athanasiu is on the list, but I don't think Ken Holland's going to get burned <laughs> twice doing that. Um, Max Domi's on the list, can play center, can play the wing, $3 million AAV, has 12 points in 18 games. I, I wonder about a guy who bounces around as much as he does. You know, um, but yeah, right. Here's the big interesting one that I really want to talk about because it would be insane, but I don't think it will ever work is Eric Carlson. Could you imagine a situation where the Oilers could have McDavid dry settle on the ice together? And then in the minutes they're not together, you have Eric Carlson doing his thing. That'd be so fun. It'd be fun. Like a, a, a minute left in a tight game and you roll over the boards Carlson McDavid Drysaddle, that's unbelievable. It'd be so fun. It would how be- do you how do you make up eight million dollars? Because I think the Sharks would retain down to about eight. Because you can't ask the Sharks because he's got three more years left on his deal. He's eleven point yeah. five. So if they retain half, then he's still costing them what? Like I think he's four more six years. mil. Yeah, there's you know, four more seasons after this one. You're so right. you're asking the Sharks to take twenty million dollars over <laughs> the next four years to pay a guy to not play for them to play in the division. Yeah, so they have to see him play against them for four years. There's no way it'll ever. Carlson happen. would also have to wave to come here. Yeah, not happening. How old is he? 32? 32, four years, so it'd be 36. Do you want that for four years too? I don't love the idea of it. That's not, because yeah, it's not just like a San Jose has to keep it. It's like the Oilers now have to keep a 36-year-old Eric Carlson at some point. But people don't necessarily scoff at the idea of signing a 30-year-old in free agency for a seven or eight-year deal, right? Like, Yeah, that's a good point. Though he he has fewer prime years, of course. Injury history worries me. And the injuries too, yeah. Yeah. Um, One name lower down the list Ryan Reeves, healthy scratch in New York, hasn't hit the score sheet once this season. Pending UFA, $1.75 million AAV. He's been a healthy scratch, like I said, for the Rangers' last five games. Frank writes Edmonton as a team that's looking for toughness. I don't touch Ryan Reeves. I, I see no benefit there. He plays relatively hard but he doesn't skate well. He gives you no offense and he's 1.75 million. I don't touch Reeves. Yeah. I think we've kind of gotten away with the, from this kind of thing, the, the, the more new NHL way of doing this is having yourself an Evander Kane, somebody who can score and play and drop the gloves and be tough. You want that package of a player. Or Kaleem Costin. Yeah. Like he literally yeah. has an NHL fight to his name. Like he is, he does bring that toughness. He checks hard. Like he plays physical. Like, I think almost the Oilers just need to give him some games, and then there's your team toughness relative, right? Like, I don't know. Do the team? Do they really need team toughness? We've had this discussion, but Ryan Reeves 
can't be the answer. So what was the guy they tried to get in the offseason? Nicholas Delorier. Delorier. Yeah. And he ended like up getting paid time. like just way too much. Yeah. I wouldn't waste anything on Ryan Reeves right now. It's too, many other, we, it's too many other areas they need to fill rather than team toughness. I'd, I'd, I'd pull the trigger on Ryan Reeves if the Rangers decided let's cut ties and they threw him on waivers. Then sure. Why not? But even then, it's 1.75. But you have the LTIR space, right? Like, But then what happens when Kane comes back? Even if you send down Reeves, you're still eating another 600K. And what did they have in cap space for? $145? 10 cents. Yeah. Also, if you're going to get someone, I'm down. I'm down to get someone who can drop the mitts. Sure. I'm sure. down to add a tough, but they need to forecheck hard. Okay, you can say Reeves does that. But then they either got to score or be good on the PK. Reeves doesn't score. In, the la- in his last 81 games, I just looked it up. How much time do you think Ryan Reeves has spent on the PK? None. Yeah, guess? I, I would no. guess like f- <laughs> less than five minutes because he's like probably coming out on the shift. Three <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Three seconds in his last 81 games is how long Ryan Reeves has spent on the PK. So he can't kill penalties. He can't score. He does nothing. He'd be dead weight at one. If he was league min, I'd be like, sure. You have nothing to lose. Bring him in. 1.75, I'm not touching him. We'll get into yeah. uh, more of that with Frank tomorrow, though. All right. Uh, moving towards the wrap-up of the show, let's get to our daily bets, Liam, courtesy of our friends at Betway. Mm-hmm. What do you like tonight? Two-game slate. Just a couple of games on the slate tonight. The NHL's been doing this a lot recently. Uh, so what do we have here? Alex Tuck, over two and a half shots, hit this in two of his last three. Nice. And also, Adam Fox. Here's a little trick I found with Adam Fox. If he's going to score a point, it's probably not a goal probably an assist yeah so i got him a, an assist at minus 138 he has an assist now i think he's missed it once in his last five so there you You'd go be correct he's he has six assists in his last five games yeah he's a he's a pretty good hockey player who haven't seen him play before i would recommend <laughs> watching him and also betting on him tonight he's won a norris trophy should the others sure has what would the others have to give up for adam fox we'll discuss tomorrow i'm gonna ask frank that <laughs> And he'll probably just leave the video <laughs> call. He'll just be like, oh, no. Former Calgary Flame. Flame's yeah, pick yeah. was like, I'm not yeah, signing yeah. here. So they're like, oh, we'll trade you to Carolina. Got to Carolina and was like, oh, I'm not signing here either. I'm actually only signing with the Rangers. And then the Rangers were gifted a Norse Trophy winning defenseman. Speaking of that, there was a D-man in last night's game for the New Jersey Devils that I thought looked quite good. The others could use is John Marino. Not bad, eh? <laughs> hey, you know what? One of uh, Pistol Pete's many great drafts. I was going to say, if, if you want guys like Marino on your blue line, you got to draft them. <laughs> yeah, and you got to have your city based on the Eastern Seaboard, unfortunately. And yeah. wasn't he the guy whose like, brother put yeah. together a presentation about the organizational right side depth of every team's blue line? And was like, listen, the Oilers are too good. Like, you won't get minutes there. And then that's why he wouldn't sign. Apparently, yeah, there was. Uh, apparently, the others were so overwhelmed with depth on the blue line that John Marino wouldn't sign an entry level deal. I don't remember these those things days. happen. That sucks. <laughs> uh, we have a game day tomorrow as well. Oilers and Islanders, also Canada World Cup. Liam, what do we need to know about uh, tomorrow's matchup against Belgium? Well, John Herdman, the Canada manager today, said Alfonso Davies is healthy and ready to play, which was unexpected. So that's a big boost. So Canada looks like they'll be at full strength. Nice. For the game against Belgium tomorrow. The way this World Cup's been going so far, we saw Saudi Arabia beat Argentina this morning. Australia is now losing, but they were beating France a couple of minutes ago. Wow. So anything can happen at the World Cup, and I think Canada's got a pretty good chance tomorrow against the older Belgium team. What happens first? Oilers win a game, Cody Bellinger signs with the Jays. 
I think the Oilers are in a pretty good spot to beat the New York Islanders tomorrow. So I don't think Cody Bellinger is going to be signing right away and they'll take a little bit longer. So percent chance Cody Bellinger is a Blue Jay. 50-50? I would say higher than 50, to be honest. I think he's a pretty yeah. good fit here. Really? His nu- his numbers yeah. hitting against not the shift mm-hmm. are very damn good. And baseball's banned the shift now. And he's also really good defensively. You're basically yes. taking, I don't know if he's quite as good as Bradley Zimmer defensively, but you're taking a Bradley Zimmer caliber center fielder and a guy with the upside if he can find his stroke again to hit like 30, 40 home runs. This, is, this, this reminds me a lot of the Marcus Semien edition. A couple years he ago. could be better defensive left-handed hitting Teoscar Hernandez at maybe the same price. Yeah, it's like if, if, you, if I think here's what it is. If you try to replace Teoscar with Cody Bellinger, you're going to have a bad time. But if you're replacing Rymel Tapia with Bellinger, that's good. That's a good way to yeah, do it. Go that's a good point. I have another question about the Blue Jays whilst we're on the topic. They waived Tapia, right? Yeah. They, uh, see, I thought he was good. Nah. He's fine. It's if it's it's just nah. where he was at in his arbitration. I think it was his second or third go around, and he was yeah. projected to make like six mils in arbitration. So they cut him, and they could bring him back without him going to arbitration on a different deal. Interesting. Uh, Reed was in the chat and had, his, uh, had asked what the Jays are going to do this offseason. Reed, you got to download uh, BJN Radio. But he says he's a Cardinals fan, so we can. No, talk that was Rusty who says. He's oh, a Rusty's fan. a Cardinals. Fan, Reed is a Jays so, fan, so we can talk about how the Jays are going to acquire Lars Newtbar. Yeah, hey, Rusty, let's work out a deal for Lars Newtbar here. Yeah, we'll Rusty, do a little enjoy, armchair uh, GMing. Enjoy Danny Johnson. <laughs> uh, I didn't give my bets for today. Uh, Trevor Moore, shot prop, and the over in Montreal Buffalo, I think is a great spot, by the way. Um, we are all out of time for today, though. We'll be back tomorrow. Like I said, Frank Cervalli, short for Giant Game Day edition of the show as well. And we'll keep our eyes on Canada at the World Cup as they kick things off against Belgium. Thanks for tuning into the show. Shout out to our friends at the Sports Closet. Christmas is coming. They got the reverse retros in stock as well. Hit them up, sportscloset.ca, St. Albert Mall, Sherwood Park Mall, or Kingsway Mall. Have a good Tuesday, everybody. We'll talk tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.